Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 482. And the other woman standing under the street lamp. In the better light, I saw the woman was much younger than I'd thought. Just a slip of a girl, her shoulders heavy with sobs. Denna rubbed her back in small circles, and the girl slowly calmed down. After a moment, they began walking down the street. I hurried back to the alley, where I had spotted an old iron drain pipe, a relatively easy way to get back down onto the street. But even so, it cost me two long minutes and most of the skin off my knuckles to get cobblestones back under my feet. Only through a pure effort of will did I keep myself from running out of the alley to catch up with Denna and the girl. The last thing I wanted was for Denna to discover I'd been following her. Luckily, they weren't moving very fast, and I caught sight of them easily. Denna led the girl back to the nicer part of the city, then took her into a respectable-looking inn with a painted rooster on the sign. I stood outside for a minute, peering at the layout of the inn through one of the windows. Then I settled my hood more firmly over my face. I walked casually around the back portion of the inn and slid into a seat on the other side of a dividing wall, just around the corner from Denna and the young girl. If I'd wanted to, I could have leaned forward to peer at their table, but as it was, neither one of us could see each other. But as it was, neither one of us could see the other. The tap room was mostly empty, and a serving girl came up to me almost as soon as I took my seat. She eyed the rich fabric of my cloak and smiled. What can I get you? I eyed the impressive array of polished glass behind the bar. I motioned the serving girl closer and spoke softly with a rasp in my throat, as if I were recovering from the croup cough. I'll take a tumble of your best whiskey, I said, and a glass of fine florin red. She nodded and left. I turned my finely tuned eavesdropper's ears to the next table. Your accent, I heard Donna say. Where are you from? There was a pause and a murmur as the girl spoke. Since she was facing away from me, I couldn't hear what she said. That's in the western feral, isn't it? Denna asked. You're a long way from home. There was a murmuring from the girl, and a long pause where I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't tell if she'd stopped talking, or if she was speaking too quietly for me to hear. I fought the urge to lean forward and peer at their table. Then the murmuring came back, very soft. I know he said he loved you, Denna said, her voice gentle. They all say that. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. There's a thing on this page that I recognize from the frame narrative. I think. Florin Red, is that not one of the things that the mayor asks for? The mayor asks for when when he comes in? Does he not ask for a Florin Red? And then he doesn't have it because on the road, the roads are rough. So he says, no, we don't have a Florin he said, he says Red Grimsby. Grim, oh, okay. Grimsby. Never I don't mind. know that we've encountered the word Philorin before. We were, yeah, we were talking about this word before because we were talking about how it sounds like. 
Fillerian? Yeah. So we've definitely encountered this word somewhere before. I just have no idea where. <laughs> this book is so long and it has so many words. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of insight that our listeners come to us for. Whatever. <laughs> this is the vaunted Bechdel scene, as it is called in the circles of those who analyze this book. Uh, called that because this is the only time where two women have a conversation that uh, does not involve quoth. However, I would like to point out that, it does. Uh, strictly speaking, strictly speaking, the um, the stipulations of the Bechtel test, which is a, uh, for those who don't know, a satirical benchmark proposed by cartoonist Alison Bechtel for the absolute lowest bar a piece of media has to uh, achieve in order to, you know, have something close to proper... Um, proper representation of, of women is that both women need to have names, need to have dialogue and need to be talking about something other than a man. And in this case, uh, I do not believe we get a name of the other person. I do not believe we get much dialogue from her. Uh, so I posit to you that this scene does not meet the parameters of the Bechdel test. And thus this franchise so far uh, does not pass the Bechdel test. Wrong. Wait, wait, wait. I have Fella and, and all the other ladies are totally talking to each other about people who are not, like, conversations that do not directly involve a man when they're planning the heist on Ambrose. So that's a Bechdel scene that happens a whole book ago, or at least, like, several hundred pages ago. So eat my ass. I mean, it doesn't matter. A Bechdel scene does not a feminist novel make. Absolutely. Correct. Yes, um, don't worry, I'm, furthermore, I'm with you there. <laughs> upon this actual scene, this scene has, like, yes, the scene is kind of about what the girls are talking about, but we're still learning things about Quoth, and it is through his eyes that we see it. So really, this still, like, this isn't two women talking to each other. This is Quoth listening to two women talking to each other. And that first little bit is important because we're we're hearing, like, what he's saying to the waitress, how he's interacting with this situation how he's fighting the urge to peer around the corner how how he's trying to listen and like i mean just the fact that he's there and eavesdropping is bad (laughs) well yeah but that's also like kind of unavoidable in a book that is from the first person perspective i agree and i think that again this fits close character very well but like for for anyone to argue that like this is a bechtel scene or that this is like somehow towards a feminist end is kind of bullshit i mean <laughs> like it's a good part of the book and i enjoy it i'm just saying it's not it, it has nothing to do with with those other things i i mean i don't think i think that's true i think rothfuss is intending to have a scene of like girl power here where like one older wiser woman of the world is telling a younger more naive woman of the world how it is you know i think to that extent there is a certain you know, feminist intent. Obviously the author of this book is a man, you know, his perspective is limited by the fact that he's a man, but I think that that is the intent. Okay. I'll give Rothfuss the benefit of the doubt. Fine. I can be swayed. Even the most well-meaning of, of men when writing about women, we are ultimately limited by the simple fact that we are not women and we don't really know what it's like. So we're just using our level best guess, our best interpretation based on the people we know and the research we've done, you know, about what it's like. And, you know, I think it's unfair 
to expect an author to get it perfectly right all the time. I think all you can expect of an author is that they did their best and that they'll own up when they make a mistake and someone yeah i think that's reasonable because we certainly don't want to create a world where people can only write about their own experiences and writing about the other people's experiences is is considered gauche or or like improper in some way because that will uh that kind of goes against the 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 whole point of art but getting back to the the art that is this book i think it is interesting to think about the 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 tradecraft that Quoth employs here because he wants to be able to eavesdrop on them and not get uh, noticed. I feel like he kind of overthinks it and we can talk about it more on tomorrow's page where we see how his plan comes into play, but he has ordered two drinks for a reason. Uh, And he is going to kind of like bribe this serving girl into doing something that I actually don't think he needed to bother with. Well, Jeremy, before we get to that, can we talk about the tradecraft he employs before he walks into the building? Because the first thing he does is he peers through the window and scopes it out and he picks his table. So he doesn't walk in blind and try to find a place to sit. Yeah, that's right. And he rolled well. It's a limited hangout. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he's asking what here is useful or valuable to me. What should I be on the lookout for? (laughs) This book is just a giant game of dungeon world. It's fine. (laughs) All, all fantasy stories are just giant games of dungeon world. I also, I like the detail that the sign does not have a word on it. It just has a picture on it, which is of course, because most people in a pre-modern society can't read. So you don't, there's no point in like painting a word on the sign. You paint a picture. That's true of pre-modern societies, but I would hazard, I mean, actually, do we have a lot of evidence that, that literature is widespread in? No, we don't. I mean, there's lots of books. Yeah, but the common people, the common people we encounter don't seem to be literate. That's a good point. But this is a good part of town. We're back in the respectable part of town. Yeah, but that's... And the prices here are high. But that's kind of what I'm getting to. Like, it doesn't matter if you're respectable or not. Like, that's not the same as being wealthy and well-educated enough that you have learned how to read. Well, I guess this... If if nothing else, this maybe tells us something about Severin. Because in, uh, in Imra, I think we can expect a large amount of literacy. Mm-hmm. And possibly even in Tarbine, which seems like it is very... Uh, religious and for a long time writing was the purview of the church so it's possible that there's a bit more of that uh, permeated through there but maybe what we can glean from this moment is that in Tarbine even in the sorry in Severin even in the nicer parts of town there isn't a lot of of literacy of the written word I mean or at least there isn't much call for it my assumption would be that the farther away you get from the university the less likely it is that people who aren't rich uh, and well-educated are literate because like the university and Imra are kind of a social environment where like most of the people here are either working at the university, studying at the university or serving people from the university. So it makes sense that everyone is, is literate to a degree because like that's a place of learning and education. Uh, but I, I don't even think that in Tarbin, your average yokel, uh, your average like yeoman farmer or, uh, or like, you know, artisanal craft person has learned to read. I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that. This 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 niggles me toward a larger theory 
uh, about the way the the world works in in this series and also kind of the secret history of the world because it seems like other forms of um, generational knowledge have been pruned away. So we only have the written word, but we have reference to Yiddish knots uh, as something that uh, is sort of a lost way of preserving knowledge that isn't um, isn't the written word. And we also have the Adem who uh, pass it down through memory and story. Um, so I'm not coming up with a crackpot theory right away, but I do think now that we're talking about literacy and the prevalence of literacy and, and where the written world sits in this world, there is something to be said and something to maybe keep in mind and, and analyze about the nature of preservation of knowledge in this world. Um, obviously stories are a way of preserving knowledge and, and passing on information. Uh, and we start to encounter in the different cultures, different attitudes towards stories and different attitudes towards generational knowledge and, uh, and teaching and pedagogy. So, uh, and we also, we know because of Dena that she is in search of a form of magic that involves writing things down and making them true by writing them down. And I think we've also posited in some way at some point, or at least I have, that Quoth is doing some kind of magic by the very act of telling his story in the frame narrative. So there's just all this talk about like literacy and who is literate, who has the ability to write and preserve and access generational knowledge. Seems to me like it might be more central to the theme or even the plot of this book than we realize yet. Yeah, that might well be. And if so, then this is like a, a sort of a, a microcosm of that. Defo. Anyway, I think we can all agree that this the name of this place is the Red Cock. Mm, yeah, probably. The Swollen Rooster. You guys are awful. <laughs> I'm just, just not even going to bother. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to say on this page? I think for I want to talk about things, but they're better for next page because we actually, like, we get a little more. I guess maybe one good note for this page would be that, like, the reason Quoth can't hear what the other girl is saying makes sense because he's faced away from her. And, like, it would be... I think it would be bad for Rothfuss if he were to say the girl was faced away from me, but I also heard what she was saying perfectly fine. Like, I'm glad that he didn't do that. But also the reason we don't get both of their conversations is, is because of that. But also that's on purpose because Rothfuss wants us to focus on Denna here rather than focusing on the, the chick she's helping out. So those are my thoughts. I don't know what my, my core argument is there, but I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a good observation. And I also think it's the case that it's not, it's not so important for us to hear what this girl says, because much like Denna, we can kind of put it together, you know, like her, what, what we hear Denna say helps us fill in the blanks of what this girl's deal is because it's a pretty common story. I also think the part of the reason that Quoth can't hear her so well is because she like just went through a traumatic experience and she's been conked on the head and been like semi unconscious. So she's talking quietly because she's like freaked out and traumatized. Yeah. I, I wanted to initially sort of critique 
the idea that this girl's story doesn't matter. Um, but what I think is, is more central is what Jeremy said, that this is a common story and like that her story doesn't matter because so many people have the same story. Um, so I, I think it's fine. And that's another reason why I think the details needn't be in the book because for the purposes of the book and like I'm zooming out more, I don't want to implicate Quoth in this because this is something that is, is it a decision made for the purpose of storytelling? We don't need to bog down the story with the details here. All that really matters for the purpose of the story is what we learn about Denna. Also, that's correct. I think Rothfuss leaving out the details allows the reader to have a more personal relationship with what happened to the girl. Because without giving us the details, we fill it in with what's already in our brains, right? So it automatically becomes more personal to us. Mm, totes. Okay, that's my notes. I'm good. I'm done. All right. Well, then, let's move on to tomorrow's notes on tomorrow's page. Of the, the wind. wind.